Welcome to Adam Radio, and this week we have a very special guest joining us from the UK, composer Michael Finnessy. G'day, Michael. G'day. It's great to have you here. The work that we're going to present takes us back to 1975, a work for solo percussion. Now, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, Ru Chao, or The Ascent of the Sun? Yep, The Ascent of the Sun, or Ru Chu, I always say, but Ru Chao is fine too. Oh no, we'll go with Ru Chu. I gather that you composed this in Taiwan or for an event in Taiwan. Is that correct? I had met a Taiwanese composer here in Daudiamus in, in Holland, and we became friends. He was running a concert series, and he asked me to write this piece for the concert series. It was actually played by a Japanese percussionist. There's nothing very complicated about it. He just asked me to write this. I had completely free choice of title and shape. It was the first time I'd ever written for solo percussion, and I designed the piece as a kind of ceremonial for the player. So, in fact, it's like a little ritual to welcome the sunrise. Well, that makes complete sense once you see the piece. And I'm glad you mentioned that it was your first solo percussion piece because you are actually a, a virtuoso pianist. And I think you made your mark as a composer also mainly for the piano, but also around this time you were writing a lot of music for and collaborating with contemporary dancers. Is that correct? Yes, that's absolutely correct. And it was the percussion player of the company I was working with, I think a Canadian guy called John Kellior, and he gave me some really invaluable, I mean, fantastic advice on how to cope with percussion. And I still remember his words now. I've, I've always kept to his advice. I mean, things like using a small setup, but using it thoroughly rather than what some people do, which is to use about 20,000 instruments and hit them once. I mean, it all makes sense when you think about it, but you do still see these pieces where the entire stage is filled with percussion. Composers forget how large a marimba is when you've got to travel from one end to the other. It's all stuff like that. And I had good advice, which I hope I have put into practice. Well, I have to say I'm not a percussionist myself, but for a first percussion solo, it strikes me as very assured and very confident. So obviously your connection with that percussionist paid dividends. And I have to say you do get a huge variety of sounds out of the percussion setup that you have chosen, which is three groups of drums. You've got a high-pitched group, a low-pitched group, and then a group you describe as ethnic drums of various types. I'd like to cross over to you now, Alex Ma, and tell us what drums have you included in the ethnic drums group? In group three, I think I used a djembe, like a West African drum, and a couple of congas, because I thought most of the other drums in sort of the low group were toms and bass drums, and then further up in the higher range were more toms. <laughs> and bongos and I thought the, the congas were sort of a nice middle register and also because of Latin percussion and that whole area I thought that was a, a nice suitable timbre. Terrific and Alex tell us about the sort of techniques that Michael wants from the player in the score, the sorts of striking effects that you're required to use. The main ones are sort of hitting it with the hand there are specified ones where you hit with the nail. There are a couple of large sections where there's sort of single large attacks with mallets on the drums. And also he uses a lot of uh, scraping often with the nails on the different drums and it just sort of creates this really nice sort of breathy scraping sound. 
He does say with using different parts of the hands or the nails to mix it up a bit. So using the fingers or the palm of the hand or a fist or even sort of with different parts of the nails, you could use the flat of the nail or the tip of the nail or one or more fingers. It's sort of it's really nice and sort of open interpretation and in that certain bits aren't too specific. So it's really more how you sort of want to change the different strokes to sort of affect the, the overall gesture, I think. Well, it's a huge variety of sounds that are covered in this fairly short piece. Michael, one of the features I love is the uh, silences, which strike me as very ritualistic. And you ask the percussionist to remain as motionless as possible during those silences. Was that part of the ritual aspect of this? If I'm honest, no. I was interested in the sort of proportions of sound to non-sound. And what was hugely impressive about Alex's performance was the way that it was choreographed, so that those moments which could have been very floppy and very badly handled were amazing. I mean, it was a performance not only to listen to, but as I had wanted to, to actually watch. As whatever it was, I mean, a piece of stylized modern dance it could have been actually it was hugely impressive to me previous performances and there haven't been very many have rather let that go because they've assumed that the continuity will take care of itself of course it doesn't you have to suggest that the sound is actually disappearing behind a cloud or something like that you can't hear it but it is still kind of there and the way that was performed was just magic Michael, I'm so glad you mentioned the connection to dance because I always find when I'm watching a good percussionist, it is almost like watching a dancer. Alex, I don't think you have dance training, but you do have some other physical movement training. Would you like to tell us about that? Yeah, for I think sort of, it would have been eight years now, I did a lot of karate martial arts. And so I think that probably helped, especially with sort of the choreographed areas and just sort of holding a level of control and just sort of making every single movement deliberate, like even however high the hand is or the speed that you're moving, it's all very controlled. Well, it's certainly enjoyable to watch as well as to listen to. Look, Michael, before we let you go, you've been writing for a long time now. You've seen a lot go on in music. And if we look back to the 1970s, it seems like such an adventurous decade. People were doing crazy things and sure, a lot of them didn't work, but a lot of them did work. Have we become tamer, do you think, than people were back then? That's a really difficult question. I don't know. I'm still excited about writing. I still love doing it. It makes my day to sit down and be able to put stuff down on paper. I wasn't including you in the tame crowd, by the way. (laughs) I don't think you've lost your edge at all. From teaching, I get the impression that because money is now playing so much larger a role in the whole music business, I don't like the term very much, people are worried, they're running scared of the business. So they hold back, which I think is a terrible idea. It's, it's such crap to do that. We have a responsibility as composers to explore and to make adventures for our audience too. And I hate the staleness of a lot of what's being written now. It's just not exciting. I listened recently to your song cycle, The Anderson Leader Christ, which you only wrote a few years ago. And it's, it's a very beautiful song cycle from uh, texts by Hans Christian Anderson. And you finish up with a line which I found, well, devastating in a way. It says, clearly art is very clever but hardly worth a normal person's bother. Were you very pessimistic at that moment when you wrote that song? 
Oh, I have moments of very deep depression about writing and the potential impact it's going to make. And why I turned to Anderson was that, you know, he's a well-known writer of fairy tales. We hardly now know his poetry. It's considered very old-fashioned and sentimental. But I rather liked the way he was connecting with people's feelings. And we all experience that kind of disillusionment with what we're doing. Otherwise, we're probably not even doing it properly. So there has to be darkened light. And it's something that people have said to me, why do you bother to write music like this when nobody's going to listen to it? But it's not true. A lot of people do listen to it. I can tell that from the responses on YouTube. And even if it's only one person that you can change in some small, small way, you've done your job. That's lovely to hear. Thank you. And before we go, are you prepared to tell us what you're working on at the moment? I'm actually working on the continuation of a project that was initiated by somebody else. A pianist approached me. I knew her performance of the Goldberg variations of Bach. And she said, would you like to write some more variations? I would like to do a longer version of this piece. I mean, it's already quite substantial, right? And she was approaching five composers to write a unit of three variations, as Bach does. And so I said, yes. And it was really exciting to have a composition lesson from J.S. Bach, to look at the Goldbergs and think, wow, what can I learn from this? And I got so excited by the project, I said to her, well, I'm now going to do some more sets of variations. So I'm actually doing four units of the three, making 12 variations in all. And I guess I've got about five more to do. That sounds absolutely fantastic. And I have to tell you, one of the things that's kept me going during COVID lockdown is listening to the Goldberg variations. <laughs> that's, that's a great coincidence. And Michael, you have a great habit, if I may say, of looking back at other composers. You've done absolutely gorgeous arrangements of Gershwin, of Verdi arias, and um, you've looked at Grieg in recent years. This is obviously something that you like doing from time to time. Well, my potential audience listen to lots of other music, obviously, and it's a way of drawing people in to my creative world to say that, look, this is not that different to Gershwin and Verdi, and I can make those links audibly. And perhaps that helps people who otherwise would be fearful of listening to something called modern music, which, after all, in the media generally has a very bad reputation. It's very off-putting to, to a lot of people. It's just trying really to make the links across the centuries. Michael, it's so wonderful to talk to you and um, I hope you're keeping well. And thanks for joining us on NM Radio. Entirely my pleasure. It's wonderful. Thank you so much.